0: Hello, and welcome to Pressing Matters, a podcast talking about what matters most to WordPress developers and WordPress business owners. Your hosts are Ian. Hello. And Jack. Hello. Ian's a plugin author, website owner, and developer working with delicious brains. And Jack's a plugin author and runs WordPress agency Made With Fuel. And now, on with the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Pressing Matters. Uh, Hello, Jack. We haven't
0: spoken for a little while. How are you doing? And what have you been up to? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Yeah. Um, I'm just getting over the um, sheer amount of snow we had over the weekend um, up here. So that was uh, uh, good, but didn't mean I I got a lot done in terms of, well, anything really. Um, Least of all my garden office, which is uh, currently standing with all four walls upright, but um, I couldn't do much more than that. uh, So... Yeah, it's probably a blessing really because you know I wouldn't have been able to get deliveries out to me for you know more timber and all that sort of stuff anyway because of the snow, so yeah, I've actually had quite a chilled weekend. Um, currently in the middle of a pretty busy spell, in that, um, the in that the, some of the sites I'm doing at the moment are all kind of going live at the same time, but yeah, it's same, same pretty busy at the moment. Yeah, how about yourself? Yeah, yeah well
1: it sounds a bit of a similar situation with delicious brains seem to be in launch mode at the moment. So we just put offload SES, the new plugin out, um, sort of much more of a, a public launch um, and spin up WP, the new hosting service is kind of getting ready to, or gearing up to um, a, a full launch. And because I'm working on the site, um, th- there's always that crossover of products that are launching that I need to uh, have stuff done on the site um, so yeah we are just constantly in launch mode at the same at, at the time and I don't think we'll be letting up for any time soon which is a good thing um, and yeah just busy with my own stuff as well and we get we've got a lot less slow snow than you I think so uh, the weekend was, was still pretty active but yeah. yeah I mean we didn't talk last week um, but I thought um, if you don't mind we have a chat about something that's been on my mind over the last sort of few days or week or so. Um, and that's basically how do we share, or how do you share, or how do we as a plugin uh, site developers share code across projects? Um, so I, I'll start off with an example of something that's, you know, it's happening right now for me. Um, so the deliciousbrains.com site has um, alert bars for, we post at the top, you know, sort of these hello bar type things that says, mm-hmm. hello, we have launched this new plugin. Go and get um, 40% off um, and links to the blog post or the pricing page or whatever. Um, and that's actually, we're not using the plugin for that because we just built it out organically based on um, requirements as they came in from, from Liz, our marketing um, department. And um, so it's a custom post type and it's all custom coded, which is great. And it's got to a really good stage where um, they can the marketing uh, folks can add specific rules to um different alert bars so we've got multiple ones running on the site at the moment one only shows on the home page and one shows if you're in the actual product page for that plugin so um, i I kind of hijacked acf's uh, field group location rules metabox that says like show this on this page or don't show this on this um uh, section of the site and and that's going really well but now, as i mentioned before, we're gearing up for the launch of SpinUpWP.com. SpinUpWP.com is a WordPress site as well, and guess what? The marketing team has said we want alert bars because we will be launching soon. And so I'm thinking, well, we'll do exactly the same thing, um, but you know, the code is is in the the repo, the Git repository of DeliciousBrains.com, and I don't want to just copy that across because you've got the code live in two places or saved in two places, you're gonna to have to make edits twice. Um, so I've, I've just been over the last few days working through the best way to package it up. Um, and both sites are being, or both both sites are run um, with Composer. So any dependencies like WordPress itself and free plugins are um, used via WP- WPackagist, and the John Block Composer Installer, um, and so my first thought was, right, let's let's take the the library, I guess, of PHP files for um, the testimonial, sort of registering the post type, adding all the post meta that's needed to, with ACF config, and then there's a little bit extra. Um, so, if for example, we get somebody tweeting nice things about us marketing folks will go and find those those Twitter links, and they can um, they can go to a, a specific page to import the Twitter uh, the tweet um, underneath the sort of the testimonials post. Type it in the WordPress dashboard, um, and that was previously using like um, a, a promoting plugin that had Twitter API access, um, and I was just sort of piggybacking on that. Um, but now I really want to remove that and just use. Uh, Twitter's, I think it's the uh, an OAuth Twitter API SDK. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, but my initial thought was right, okay, so I'll just create some GitHub repositories to kind of abstract that testimonial stuff and then just load it with Composer, put it on packages.com, so which can sync to your GitHub repo, and then I can just put in my git, uh, composer.json require delicious brain slash WP testimonials, for example, and that will stick all of that code in the vendor folder. But because it'll be um, the classes and all of the um, the code will be auto loaded through Composer's um, auto loader because I would use the PSR four um, naming convention and file uh, naming. So that's re- easily accessible for both sites to manage and, and to use because that you know it will be loaded through Composer. Um, which initially sound great because, you know, I don't need I don't need it as a plugin that sits on the WordPress.org repository because this is really just internal code um, that does a job that we're not releasing as a plugin. We just need to use on two sites or maybe more because we we've got another site as well. Um, and then I came up, um, across a stumbling block in that so the code that was sitting in the vendor folder was actually well, the vendor directory was outside of the public route of the site. Um, and the testimonial has a, has an, well, basically it has one image that is used as the avatar of the person if we don't have an image for them, like a backup. Um, typically, it will just pull it from their Twitter avatar or whatever. But say, for example, somebody's emailed us a quote um, or a testimonial. We'll use that, but we don't know their, their gravatar or avatar. Mm-hmm. So my problem was trying to um, get a URL pointing to that image, but it was sat outside of the public folder, um, so it wouldn't be accessible by the web server, and all these things. It um, meant that the I th- well, the conclusion I came to was the best um, approach was to package the code up as a, a must-use plugin. Mm-hmm. So it would sit inside the public root, you know, WP content MU plugins, um, and we wouldn't need. Well, it, it, because it's an MU plugin, I guess you wouldn't have that worry that an administrator or somebody could could disable it, and then it would kind of balk on the front end because suddenly the testimonials weren't registered, or the post type wasn't registered, and you know you get a 500 error on the front end, um, mm-hmm. and you would it would be public accessible publicly accessible for the images or any other assets because it would be you know mysite.com forward slash wp content forward slash mu plugins forward slash images forward slash whatever so that was great but then the next stumbling block and i appreciate this is a bit more of me just going through my thought process recently um was when you've got an mu plugin and i don't know if you probably know this jack but the mu plugin directory Uh, It's not quite the same as the plugins directory in WordPress, in that um, it will basically automatically load any PHP file in that plugin in that directory. So you can just drop in, uh, you know, any PHP file that does certain things, and it's going to be auto uh, required by WordPress as as it starts before plugins and themes are loaded. Um, But my issue is that whatever's stored in my package repository, um when it gets pulled in by Composer um and the actual composer.json of the package says it's a WordPress MU plugin and my site or my project composer.json says wherever you've got um WordPress MU plugins, install them in this directory. So it tells it where to go. It'll install it as a subdirectory. Kind of like normal plugins are, you know, so it'll be MU plugin slash WP testimonial slash and then all of the code in there. But WordPress, by its nature, doesn't load anything in subdirectories for the MU plugins. So you can mm. kind of, you would typically need to just create a new PHP file that is required by WordPress, but it just requires any code or any sort of like bootstrapping code inside your subdirectory, mm. which is a bit of a pain. But then I discovered this really, really nice, um, Composer library, I guess, Composer package called, where is it? It's called WP MU plugin loader and it's by a guy called Luke Woodward, I think. And, and what it does is, so it will, um, it, its code sits in the vendor folder, but it copies um, the PHP file to the MU plugin directory and that then starts some logic to say, okay, s- scan all of the direct subdirectories inside MU plugin and go and load up them as kind of it would do normal plugins. So it means you, you don't have to manually hack PHP files just to bootstrap your code. It will do it all for you. Um, and the beauty of the composer stuff is that my mu plugin, which has got a composer.json, I can require that other package. So whenever that's installed with Composer, it will be taken care of, and I won't have to worry about activating plugins or doing some hacky bootstrap stuff with a PHP file. Um, so I think, as kind of as we just before we jumped on the call, I, I'm there with this whole setup, and my approach now currently for sharing, you know, functionality code between two WordPress sites without going to send off or or to start a plugin on the repository. Um, is just to create an MU plugin in a GitHub repo, put it on packages.com. So I can now just require it through composer. Um, and I appreciate when we talk about sharing code between projects, there's different projects, there's different types of projects. There's different types of code. Like we could be sharing a class between two plugins that we develop for our different plugins, but need that shared uh, that shared code base but this is just really for my sites that I'm using. And I know you spoke, Jack, about um, you're doing lots of work with sites at the moment with parent and child themes. And effectively, I guess your parent theme is the shared code base. Um, So I wondered how you you were dealing with kind of distributing that and perhaps perhaps avoiding copying code between projects every time you make a change to the parent, you know, to the source um, and how you're dealing with it.
0: Yeah, so firstly, is I've never been particularly good at following the rule that everyone's meant to follow of putting functions that are crucial to the site working as a feature plugin. Uh, if I can get plugins that will do what I need them to do, then great, I'll use them. But otherwise, a heck of a lot of functionality exists within the theme. But a lot of the clients that I've worked with, i found that that isn't a problem because they'll go through the process of redeveloping their site, you know, every X years. And so their requirements change, that functionality changes. And I've never really found a a huge requirement to put that code into a plugin, even if it was, you know, it could be a plugin with no front end whatsoever in the, when I say front end, I mean in the WP admin where you have, you know, a set of features and then you just got, you know, check boxes on whether you want them on or off. Mm -hmm. Um, or whether you would just have, you know, just a a plugin that was enabled and all that functionality was activated by default and there was no way to switch on or off, whatever that might be. But so I've never really had a problem with that, but I can understand a lot of people that would want to do it more properly and, you know, and and do that. The parent child theme setup I'm currently working with is yes, there is a parent theme which has basically all the default styles, default JS, default functionality, um, split across several PHP files. Um, and then it has a child theme that basically can override um, like the SAS variables and add to, uh, not add to the JavaScript file, but, you know, have it has its own child JS file um, and its own child functionality. And there is some functionality in that child site that is not needed in the... Other sites; it's specific to that site, so it exists in there, and um, the parent theme just you know allows for that kind of thing to happen. Uh, And every now and again, I made a number of changes just this morning, actually, uh, that would be useful. Okay, I've done. I'm about to launch like the third site out of eleven doing it in this method, and each one is kind of growing in size. But uh, we've highlighted certain things uh, by this third site. That actually, we've done that twice now. It'd be useful to make sure that that's a feature, so we can just pop that in the parent theme and update them on the three sites, um, and that works really well. It's like um, by default, the excerpt box doesn't seem to show in WordPress. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's something I've just noticed, but it seems that every author I speak to on these sites, they're saying, "Where's the uh, where's the excerpt box?" And of course, it's hidden under screen options and then excerpt yeah. it's not ticked. So it's popping. This morning, I popped in a little function that just enables that by default, uh, and it just does a quick check on it. And they they use it on every post on the site. So there's no reason not to have it there, yeah. um, but it just does a little check on login that it's enabled and sets it to enabled if it's not, um, and you know, just to just to overcome accidentally switching it off and then getting confused and then having multiple support requests for the same thing over the course of months or years. So um, so yes, yeah, so there's little things like that that go into the the parent theme. Ultimately if you were to you got a parent thing and a child thing, if you were to disable the enable the parent theme, activate the parent theme, you would get a very bland um no, that's not true actually, you wouldn't get very bad. You get a very generic looking version of the site with default logos and things like that. When you've got the child theme activated, obviously everything kind of comes to life a little bit. And mm-hmm. some of that relies on uh, ACF fields. There's a, I always, cre- a, you, you could create like a sub menu option uh, somewhere in the WP admin for site options um uh, you know things like what's where you know up your load your logo and all that sort of thing but you could do it yep. by the customizer i've never been a fan of the customizer i've, I've avoided it completely really um Same. and i've always yeah so i've always put in a page and on that page uh called site options and then on that page i've always put in a uh a group of uh, custom fields no matter what plugin i've used and to do that and then that has got know various tabs for different sections of the site that just sets all your site options up and i just so is that not is that not an acf options pages per se is that a an actual wordpress page it's an actual page as opposed to an options page um i don't know why i've always done it like that uh, having an options page would be better um i've just seen it as you know kind of site related content which this kind of feels like it's part of um exists within pages or posts or you know any of media or any of those kind of content sections, but our options page feels a bit more like part of um the the administrative parts of WordPress and this isn't a WordPress thing it's a sort of a site and content related thing It's things yeah. like what text you want in the footer that kind of thing so logically speaking, that's how I've always looked at it. That may or may not be right I've just that's how I've always done it well, how um, does it sorry just to interrupt how does it um yeah. display on the
1: front end do you do you sort of like kill it from being displayed like Presumably you don't have mysite.com forward slash options page. Like they only edit it in the admin.
0: Yeah, they do. Yeah. No. So site options won't go anywhere on the site. If you try and go load it or just go through the homepage, I think um, the, I'm fairly sure I've got, a, like I haven't even got that set up as a redirect because it uses um, everything I do. So I'm fairly sure that's a part of my custom theme that I would have done. So it just redirects that page, you know, using yeah. WP redirect. Um, so, I have that and then yeah it just uses like get field or get the field you know in my theme to kind of pull in that information in the right places and yeah. being that or i know like content and duplicating content is kind of a slightly different thing and i'm there's definitely when you're reusing stuff across multiple themes it'd probably be a lot easier to use uh that and there are custom field plugins that allow this uh, programmatically set up custom fields uh you know in code and then you can reuse them across sites or add to them and then you can roll that out, you know, via a theme update or whatever. That makes a lot of sense. We're using ACF just because of the, you know, the the ability to change that and edit that, you know, on the, in the WordPress admin for them is, is a very useful thing to have. Mm-hmm. Even if it was just, they wanted to add a field for reference that it didn't display anywhere. It was just a field that appeared like a, you know, like notes, like to have a text area in the back end that allowed them to type notes and save it. And it saves with the post, it doesn't go anywhere. It's just, it doesn't show on the front end. It's just a box somewhere. Yeah. So that's quite a useful thing for them to be able to have, you know, so on. This episode is sponsored by Made With Fuel, a WordPress web design microagency that specializes in designing and building websites using WordPress. Made With Fuel works with tiny, small, and medium-sized businesses on websites, online shops, and membership sites. To discuss your project, visit madewithfuel.com. So, so yes, we've got all this parent functionality, and then we've got the child theme, which just kind of adds to it, really. Um, and that's not very big. It, it just depends on the site uh, that is mostly SAS and and JS related stuff. It, it just depends on the site on whether they need an extra feature or functionality. Um, we're using Search WP for to replace the search, and also for the related posts functionality. That's an add on of Search WP, and that's <laughs> really good. Yeah. Yes. Um we, but it's, it's great, isn't it? It is brilliant. Yeah. I, I yeah. It makes uh it makes the regular search built into WordPress look um well, I don't know what it makes it look like, but it it leaves it in the dust. So it um that yeah, the sites that we're developing whenever they're on staging, they have a um it's on WP engine and it's got a user login, uh, you know, like an actual pop up in the browser, not, not a WordPress admin login. So it means that it can't access that to run the indexer on search WP. So it, there's a function that you can use to put pop in your functions file that allows you to pop in your username and password for that pop up. And then search WP will use those um, credentials to log in essentially to your site that way. And, run the indexer so that is specific to each site because each one of those usernames and passwords will be different on wp engine so i can put that in my functions.php file for the child theme and kind of go from there the biggest headache i had was actually trying to get all of the sas working so that it's as small as possible and all compressed and lovely um but also um I'm not loading multiple files or I'm trying to override myself in places, things mm. like that. So I use CodeKit for compiling SAS. I don't use like Composer and things like that. I have used that, but I, this, I just prefer a, I've mentioned this a couple of times on my like, Twitter and things, I just prefer a GUI for most things. Yeah. So, so you're not using Gulp or Grunt or any other task runner that's. No. Yeah. I, I feel that I'd probably work better for me if I did that, if I'm perfectly honest. And I know there's more flexibility with these things. Um, but I've always just like like I say, I'm in a UI for anything, but for as long as yeah. I can remember. So and I'm using it works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I'm using um, local by flywheel for um, site development. I was using MAMP, but I gave it up a fair few years ago now. Um, and then I'm using CodeKit to compile everything down. And the good thing about CodeKit is you can put a framework in. Um, which is essentially reusable code on everything. So my parent theme is a framework within CodeKit, and my child theme is a project within CodeKit, and it means that I can reference my framework from within a SAS file, and CodeKit recognizes that's a reference to a framework in CodeKit, and will compile everything all together as one CSS file, not two, not a parent and child's kind of CSS file. So that means that it's quite neat and tidy in terms of, Mm. um, you know the the generated out output, which I, I prefer. I'm quite keen on making sure it's as kind of small as possible, um, and uh, yeah. So that so that that was the biggest headache. And then, in, of course, the problem is is that I want to reuse that one parent theme across multiple sites that I'm developing in local by fi So essentially, that's a Git repo in a folder, uh, and I don't want to be copying across that every time because whenever I load up a new it's, you know version in flywheel i'll just be trying to copy and paste and trying to keep up in sync or you know uh pulling down the latest copy from github before i then check the site so what i've got is an alias set up in my themes that points to that repo folder um but local flywheel doesn't follow aliases so there is an add-on for flywheel called volumes i think it is Let me Load it up. okay yeah, yeah i think it's called volumes and you can map uh a, a Place you know you you can essentially yeah map a folder to a folder so it means that I can say right that alias because it looks like a folder to flywheel it looks like a folder because it's an alias that folder is actually pointing to this location on my uh, hard drive and that means I've then got it working in macOS Finder so I can click on it and can kind of see where it is and then in local it understands the same kind of relationship um, so that is that's all working perfectly I don't have to do anything with that. And of course when it comes to uploading to the live site which i, I i'm still a heavy ftp user i just i use every is not particularly glamorous any of this setup i'm sure but um from a from a sophisticated development point of view but it works incredibly well um mm-hmm. i upload everything uh, the whole site of ftp and then when i need to make any theme changes i can you know ftp that up really really easily because it's all in the one place um i am trying to sort out, actually, now that we're on the third site, and I've been doing this for a little while, there are a number of steps that I can kind of cut down on. Um, and one of the ones for updating up sites is obviously getting um, Git, well, we're not using we're using GitLab, but using GitLab to pull down um, the repo to uh, WP Engine, which I'm pretty sure you can do, uh, automatically. So I don't have to worry about that. It's when it's text change, you can just pull it down. Um, so that'd be that would be nice to... Implement and it, by the time it's gone up to github it's all been tested and checked and it's all lovely so um, yeah. I know it'll work on the other sites that you know uh, I've done as well um so yeah so that's that i and then on the on the other side of that when I'm setting up a new site I, I have an export of the feet of the kind of field groups and options and things like that that I want out of ACF which is just a JSON export yeah and that gets popped into a that's all um in a whole bunch of folders for uh like setting up a new site and i've got a wp cli script that just basically just create i've got to still create the site in flywheel it's you can't automate it unfortunately to that point point. like you could look like vagrant or something um but it runs through- I-, I create the site and then it runs through and puts everything in the right places and changes all the you know options i need in the database for, like you know settings general blah, 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 date and time and all that sort of stuff and it does all of that for me copies the child themes in creates the alias da, 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 da. and then i just need to import uh cpt ui which is custom post type ui plugin i use that for creating custom post types I, I always do it in code but for this site again for the control it's nice to have that so we're, we've got that and that will get I've just got to pick the file out of, um, you know, I just got, I just got to find my upload, my um, import file and put that in and then that's that done. And then I've just got to do the same with advanced custom fields and that's it really. I can just start adding some content and, and kind of customizing any of the colors and stuff like that on the site. So getting it as kind of set up and reusing that code is I think about as quick as I can make it at the moment. Um, I, I, constantly changing bits and pieces like i said you know i was adding to my functions file this morning but then that would just get rolled out to the other the other sites via, yeah. mostly via ftp at the moment but um but arguably you know I, can, I i'm reusing quite a large code base the, the child things are very small in terms of their functionality yeah
1: i think well it sounds good to have you know the, the bulky parent themes that and also you've got it the one source of truth on your local on your laptop that's you know stored in the git repo that's kind of like ideal, isn't it? Because it's you're not copying it across, but and also going back to your point about I think you were you were sort of slightly chiding yourself for you putting loads of stuff in the functions PHP and not putting it in a site plugin. I mean, I think it's it depends on what you're doing it for. It, you know, if you're if you're working with a client that, as you say, has a site build every year or two and and they're going to change their requirements for functionality, then you're not really going to find them. Suddenly switching your theme out and losing loads of things because you're in charge of that work, and you know even if you pass on the, the client to someone else to another developer, they're going to go through the functions PHP file. I think you know that whole like don't put programmatic or functionality stuff inside the themes functions PHP as a kind of a mantra. You know, it, it does it really only it really only kind of applies for people who just you know, they download a theme from, I don't know, theme forest. They then need a tweak. So they'll go and find out how to do it on the internet and then add that tweak to the functions.php file. And then two weeks later, they'll do a new theme and then they'll go, well, why is it not working anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think, you know, you're in a more of a controlled environment with the client, the project, the site, the theme, and the functionality, then I think I think
0: it's okay. I don't think it's too much of a... Um, an issue. Yeah, no, you're probably, you're probably right. You, you, you are probably right. I think, um, I think the other thing is, is that, you know, the technical overhead of passing on a project. So if you're putting things in functions, PHP, that's pretty easy for most developers, WordPress developers to, to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you put them in a plugin, it becomes a bit of a different beast. So, you know, I, I do plugin development, but my, my, you know, my forte really is with theme development and, um, if you handed me quite a complicated functions uh, plugin, I might get a bit lost. And with a but with a theme, I could find my way around very quickly. And I'd say that's probably the you know the same for the majority of, of developers. In, in WordPress, I'm sure most of them probably work with uh, themes over over plugins. Yeah, I think I like, it would be. But you know, there are more theme developers than are plugin developers.
1: So. Yeah, and, and I think it goes with that that the theme developers are very much well maybe it's generalization but they you know the programmatic the functionality that is added is like five percent of what they do for the theme development and the rest of it is really you know the front end work um the html the css the javascript um but yeah i when it comes to so the deliciousbrains.com site had um we went over the last two years we've gone through two different theme changes Um and we did have quite a lot of stuff in our functions PHP that we whilst we were kind of slowly developing the new theme and making sure that everything worked on the old and the new, we moved a lot of stuff out from the functions PHP because it related to the site and therefore when we switched the theme we still needed it working. Um Mm. and we also had quite a big MU plugin that was just the site code. Um and you know, we've got customizations for WooCommerce and the subscriptions add-on and lots of other things that needed to sit separately. Um, but in terms of organization and understanding that code base, it's quite, it's quite hard cause it's a bit of a dump of everything. Um, and there's just like a filters file or a functions file that just has loads of things that change. You know, there, there is definitely some, um, like abstraction of this is the WooCommerce filters file, or this is something to do with this and it's, you know, by by task or by whatever it's doing, it's, it's organized and split up, but mm. I'm definitely trying to move things out of an MU plugin um, that are specific to the site and sitting um, in a directory outside of the WP content and sitting in almost like an app folder, whereas where that code is run, uh, it's bootstrapped by an MU plugin that just says like load up our main load of code. Um, and it's much more organized by... You know, this is stuff that goes it happens in the admin. This is stuff that happens in like to, to edit or to um, customize the WooCommerce reporting that happens in the dashboard, and that's mm-hmm. all put it in its own class and kept or kept separate. So, when it comes to perhaps handing it on to another developer, hopefully it will be organized in such a way that it will be easier to maintain. Even though a lot of that code is outside of the theme and it's in a it's in. I mean, it's not it's not in a plugin, but it's in code. Um, yeah, it's and like I mean, Com- Composer for me is a, is a big uh, sort of game changer in how to m- keep a site well organized, managed, and especially if you're storing your individual sites in a Git repository, not having that completely flooded with all of the plugins, and because it's all just brought up, brought in via comp- Composer, um, and it's all Git ignored, so you never have those plugins actually in your repository, in your version control repository. Um, mm-hmm. Like you were saying about your, the custom post type UI plugin that you have to, you bring in um, at, for, for each sort of child site build, um, you know, having, having everything required by composer as a dependency to say, well, go and load this in as well. When, when the site is initialized and you kind of, you do the initial composer install, and it will just go and get everything that you define it for. Um, it'd be interesting to know, like from from our listeners, like what, what what people use and like, is there a high percentage of people running sites um, managed by Composer um, or people, you know, just just I don't know, not touching it because they've not had a need to touch it, and therefore you know it's just easier to continue with as you you go on. And, and this isn't me saying one's better than the other. But um it's definitely something that I've enjoyed using and, and, and see the use of. Um but with, with a lot of these things it's kind of you need to get into it to realise the the need. And from the outside it's like, oh, that just seems like too much um extra stuff or too much work to, to get it running. Um right. whereas actually, you know, like you say, the FTP co-kit stuff that you need to to actually get it working and you know how to use and you can do it quickly you're still an efficient developer so it's yeah i, I don't yeah, really i think on that. topic of like gatekeeping of tooling and all this stuff that you
0: must use and actually that's you no know, you use you use what you what works for you definitely yeah there is no right or wrong to, way to do these things you know i think um there are tools that are more widely used and there are tools that aren't so widely used but you know just because you use one or the other doesn't necessarily mean you know you're a good or a bad developer yeah. you know um i've i i don't know how some people can use you know text editor for you know text edit on the you know mac or you know uh, notepad mm. and things like that for uh, for writing code but i know people do and they're still writing the same code that i'm writing yes. It's Uh, it's, it it might be they might be creating slightly more work for themselves, but if they're happy and they're quick and using it, they're probably just as quick as I am, you know, in in my thing. And I'm probably just as quick as they are. Yeah. Yeah. but um, Yeah. No, it was I was going to say something about um, I I was going to ask you the the. The, the notification bar thing, what, why use it as a, a MU plugin instead of a regular plugin? What are the chances of a user disabling it? it just, from my point of view, when you were telling, telling, me, uh, telling us about it, it sounded like there was a lot of work involved for the if they were to disable it by accident scenario. Mm. So, so what are the chances of that happening? And is there a, a reason why you can't build things around it? Like, you know, if this function is available, then run this. And if it's not, yeah, I guess, I it won't break the site. Yeah, I guess that's the
1: that is the overhead of doing that because you know littered throughout the theme template files are things like you know the full the full namespace class name of the testimonial get or fetch or whatever, and which will go and return all of the ones from um, the database. So it'll go and you know do a custom WP query to say get me this, get me all published post types of dbi testimonial or whatever or dbi alert bar and yeah having as it it's probably a very very slim chance that any of our administrators who are you know all team members that know what they're doing would deactivate it but it's just that extra i guess it's it's code that has to be run by the site and it just doesn't feel right to be to stick it in the plugins directory where you can activate, deactivate, update, um, edit, all of that stuff. Although, you know, we turn that off. Mm. And there would need to be quite a lot of um, if this class exists, then do this inside the template, theme templates, which feels really yucky at the same time to have to do that. So, mm. um, and, and previously that kind of code before I, abstracted it from the one site to put it into a package to be used by both sites. That was being run completely outside of the code base of the MU plugins or plugins themselves. So it was being run at like an MU plugin. So it makes sense to continue doing the same. Um, Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping to uh, I'm kind of at the stage where the, the packages have been abstracted i'm getting making sure they work on the existing site where they lived originally and then i can move them uh, and start using them on the new site um and just yeah profit from the the reusability of the code and and not have to manually do stuff i mean pretty much i don't know about you but most of the coding and development is just to make life easier isn't it (laughs) just Mm. don't have to do this twice or don't have to add a testimonial if
0: we so wish because the you know the editors can do that yeah no quite i I was going to mention that something about something i missed off from my um kind of parent child kind of theme thing i'm doing at the moment is that if there is i'm not using like actions and things like that to kind of put in stuff into certain sections of the parent theme. So for example, if, I mean, all the, all the themes, you say breadcrumbs mm. There's a breadcrumbs.php file that is included in that. And it's, it's my own breadcrumbs. I couldn't find a plugin that was simple enough uh, to do what I wanted to do. So I just made my own uh, very simple, you know, if, if is archive that kind of thing. And it's, that's included um, obviously on, in the right place on the on the right pages um, but say for example I, I i didn't want breadcrumbs but i wanted to include them on a specific site without having to duplicate say the single.php file or the the header or the footer or wherever i wanted it to be um, i just include a blank php file uh, at that point so I know that I can override it at a later date. So there's there's things like um, JavaScript code. They'll use you know some kind of tracking code or something that they'll want to pop in there, um, and they can not like Google Analytics because we're using a plugin for that. But say you want to put something in your header, you can have a, a, a link to a PHP file, and then and then you would include that PHP file. But there'll be nothing in it. So then when I use my child theme, I could just put that PHP file in the right folder in the right place and it will then act as an override for the parents' PHP file, so yeah. that's a really easy way of of kind of doing that without the technical overhead of actions and filters and you know, um, yeah. you know priorities and all that sort of stuff and and again that's not necessarily the right way to do it, but it works really well, and I can't find any particular reason why that's not okay yeah i I think that works well because you know the parent and child theme um
1: the way the the WordPress has has coded it and works. Is that you know if you've got a template PHP file in your parent, if you have the same file in your child, the child will um, take priority and overwrite the parent. So it's a great way to do, to do inheritance of template files. Um, and and yeah, you're right. Also, you would be littering uh, the the theme, the parent theme, with hooks or you know do action calls to or filters or apply filters to to then be able to insert bits and bobs and and that gets difficult. So it's one way of doing it rather than the other. And we found that with our stuff, like when you comes to um, injecting stuff into the, the, the head um, HTML element, you've obviously got the WP, um, WP underscore head function that really themes should always have in their header PHP. And that's great because you can hook in stuff programmatically, but if you want to do inserting or or you know changing things at other parts of the site that isn't wp head or wp footer you've got to do you've got to add those hooks yourself so mm-hmm. you're effectively just doing that with template
0: files yeah I mean don't get me wrong I understand why people use actions and filters and you know and have all that sort of setup i mean Uh, Genesis or WooCommerce, you know, they're sort of, you know, big advocates, that kind of thing, I guess. Um, But the other thing is that it it kind of removes a layer of abstraction really, or adds a layer of abstraction because it's, if you've got a filter, you can, you can see, okay, in my header.php file, I've got this place where I can put in something, this action, then that's great. But then I've got to find the code that relates Mm -hmm. to that in my child theme or or in a in another part of the theme but you can look very with and you'd have to search for it first of all but if it's there in a sort of a folder tree in a hierarchy of of the um theme files you can see if that's being overridden straight away so it just takes that one yeah layer away if you see what I mean and I quite and again being GUI being a very visual person I am a very visual person um I prefer things like that anyway mm. um so yeah and, I, and it's my own project I don't need to make it overly complicated if it doesn't need to be as you know no, I'm going to be
1: maintaining a team yeah
0: you don't need to code for for colleagues that don't exist kind of thing yeah yeah how do you deal with um you say that we we're talking about sharing code obviously um when it comes to things like get i know some people that get everything i mean and i mean everything i mean they, they will turn the whole wordpress site into static files and that will you know all the blog posts are then uh put into a repo so or the you know the whole site is essentially in a repo so that they've got all their revisions are backed up as you know uh, static files in case they need them and some some people do that and i you know lots of things even just regular documents if you're a developer and you work on documents They love that kind of you know mm. finite Amounts of revisions and everything and I get that but I if I'm working on a on a I mean obviously this code is reusable And it's working across multiple sites and I'm working with um, a large client and they they set up the GitLab and all that Sort of stuff on my behalf and everything that's how they want it and that's how they want to work um, I'm quite happy and comfortable using that but if I was working on a regular Uh, well I say one of my regular clients which would be a smaller client um, you know possibly with just a small team they don't need that level of um, kind of redundancy they don't need that amount of control Um, they don't need that amount of historical uh, data um, Mm. from from the theme and you know um, if something changes they need to know the difference and that sort of stuff so I don't bother with github at all um, the way I kind of manage that is that I have time machine backups for my computer. So I have backups and then I have, um, I can't, I can't even remember what it's called now. Uh, it's changed so many times, different names, but it's, it's Dropbox, but it has the version controlling element. To it. So if I ever want to look at a file and look at a previous version of that file, it's all in Dropbox. So I've got that even if, you know, it's not in Git or something and they don't need it. I have got it somewhere. Um, and again it's it's an easier thing for me to do than than to constantly be in Git, you know yeah. get whole time or in the terminal or in the you know the github app or you know whatever app source tree whatever you want to use how do you go about that do you have do, do you work in a similar way do you get everything
1: yeah so um like for example my uh, marketing site for the instagram plugin it has a repo has a pr- private github repo um and it's um, yeah, I, I will put everything in Git. And purely because, I mean, we had a, a, a guy at one of our um, WordPress meetups asked the same question. He was like trying to learn some stuff over Christmas and he thought, should I learn Git and try and get ho- get a handle on why to use version control even though I'm a solo freelancer and I'm not going to, I don't need to work for with a team. I don't need to collaborate collaborate with other developers. And um, I think the the resounding uh, response from the rest of the meetup: If people use Git, was to, it is a good thing to do because you do obviously you've got redundancy through other backup means, but with with having um, your your project in Git and you're sort of going through quite a um, a well structured commit um, approach. So, for example, you'd um, if you'd make a change to one part of the theme um, because the client wants an edit. You know, you, you commit a small amount of that, or you know, the that whole chunk of work, um, and then you push it. So you you have that backup, but you you also know that history of the of what's gone on mm-hmm. because you, you may suddenly like um, have a, a site issue, and you want to see what's changed that may be contributing to that. Um, and it's quite difficult to do that with other backup means, whereas you could you know, narrow it down to a file and then go into Git and see the history for that file. And you can see when this line was added or when this character was changed or whatever. Um, so, so it is handy in that way. And it, I find it handy just myself because I used to do the, the kind of like, right, okay, my client site is on the FTP. I've got it stored on my local and obviously had time machine backups. And then I just have my editor pushed to FTP whenever. Um, but if I've made a change and pushed it uh, like a bunch of changes, and then suddenly that's not right. How do I get back very easily to what it was before? I can't keep command Z in. Um, I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd have to just go and find the latest backup, which may have other changes that you still want live, and you'd be overwriting them. You have to redo it. But to be able to actually see those incremental changes through the GitHub UI or GitHub app or even some. Um, the version control kind of integration with whatever code editor you use um, Mm -hmm. is invaluable because then you can just say, right, well, I've totally done the wrong thing in this last three commits over the last couple of days, and and I've changed this section of the site. I will revert everything up to then, and then on my local, I've got what I need, and I can FTP and fix production kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I would recommend it, and plus even when you... Um, with with the guy that asked the question, like he may not work with anyone now, but it's a good um, string to your bow, I think, to be able to use Git um, in a collaborative way and understand the pull requests and how, um, you know, you're pulling in changes from other people and how you might have to merge those with your current working directory. And uh, yeah, it's, but, but then, you know, you've got to have that need to sort of push you to that, to do it because, Again, if it's not if it's not broken for you
0: at the moment, then does it matter? But
1: yeah,
0: yeah, no, you're right. I, I think that the first time I started collaborating with someone—I mean, this is years ago—you know, the first time I had to use Git um, in a, in that kind of environment, it was a bit of a shock. In that, yeah, there were, I, I I've always understood you know, the concept of Git and how that works, but training yourself on a job to suddenly realize, hang on. I've just made one too many changes. I have got to go back, commit mm-hmm. what I've done at that point, and then keep going. It's, there's, it, it there it does include more pauses, you know, whilst you're doing it. Um, but uh, but it, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely worth learning that process. And like you say, understanding pull requests and and uh, and everything that comes with you know working with others really. It's a good it's a good way. It's like uh, you know going to nursery school, isn't it? And learning how to play with others is the, the grown up developer version is is using Git. Learning how to play with others, yeah, yeah. it's very true. Yeah. My book, Pat and pen. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually,
1: just quickly because I know we're probably going over our usual time, but I think we've at least covered some really good topics. But um because you 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 run a plugin or you develop a plugin, but you you have a, a sort of a hired help to help you with that. um yeah. you have because uh, the free plugin does it. Does it have a free GitHub repo or a public GitHub repo? And do you both collaborate on that? Does like just just purely because you know, from a, a Git-based setup, that's great to be able to review someone else's work. I mean, I, I hired somebody last year to work on a, on a site, and I just got him to commit changes as pull, or, you know, raise changes as pull requests, mm. and the GitHub UI to be able to re- review those changes. Um, you know, I wouldn't want him
0: just pushing straight to master and deploying to prod kind of thing. Yeah. So... Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, there is, uh, there is a a public repo kind of like mirror of the WordPress, um, SVM version. Mm. Um, so the way I do it is that we, uh, use Bitbucket and then I take the Bitbucket repo and kind of, um, set that up. Like I need, you know, put everything where I need it to be in SVM and commit that. Mm. And then I will do the same thing for the GitHub repo as well and then just kind of commit that so, so you collaborate on bit 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 bucket in private kind of thing yes that's right yeah for for the core plugin as well as all the add-ons and then the add-ons obviously i can then just you know remove mm-hmm. the git folders and get information from it and then zip it up and put it on my site where it's sold yeah. so that's that's the that's the easiest way i found to do it and there's kind of two reasons for for kind of doing it in that way, as opposed to you know your method via pull requests and so on, is that um, the developer I use? I've never mentioned their name. I I will say that they are fairly well known, and they are. Um, I'm not trying to sound secretive here, but you know they are fairly well known, and they are a they have been a core contributor on many 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 occasions. And firstly, is that I like working with them in, in, in private. I just do. I just I like the, the the relationship that we have on on the plugin that I have. And the other thing is is that things like as the plugins grown and gotten more popular, um support requests have gone up as they will. And I've got various like automated ways of dealing with that, but I don't want those support requests to end up going through to him as opposed to myself because I'm the one doing it. That's my job. It's not up to him to do that. It's not part of his role, and I wouldn't want that, you know, to on him for him to be receiving through any means possible some kind of support request because someone knows that he's a maintainer or a oh, yeah uh, definitely of, of that plugin, and that really is the primary reason. Um, to be honest with you, just it was just keeping him at arm's length. say, like, look, this is my bit. I can yeah. I can kind of work through things. I can filter it and then produce it in a way that gives you the stuff that you need to work on a bug or a you know a feature request or whatever it might be and yeah. that works pretty well but that's all yeah bitbucket and then uh yeah svn i think i use uh, an old version of cornerstone for committing to svn if anyone's oh, in yeah that brings it back yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, because my, my, yeah. my question still stands really because like we do similar we obviously have three plugins on the repo so we have to do an svn commit um sort of process with that and we also have the free plugins uh, of public repos on on git so in case people do want to do collaboration or you know suggest changes or whatnot but we won't take support requests through there but that's not where the main development happens the main development happens in a private github repo and, and similarly to your private Bitbucket repo but when that where that happens with you and your developer we'll call him mr x um <laughs> The you know, does he just, does he just push straight to the, to the, the, you know, develop branch, for example, and then just say, right well, I'm ready. I'm ready. To, I've done this feature. Can you cut a new release? I mean, back in the day when you first started hiring him, did you review his commits? I mean, Bitbucket still has pull requests and uh, that yeah. sort of review process.
0: Yeah, he just commits straight to, it depends what we're doing, really, if it's something that we're unsure of, we'll create a branch for it and then merge it later on. But most of the time, it's 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 a fairly linear kind of month-to-month-to-month kind of development process, so it's just straight to master in our private repo, to be honest with you. Um, And yeah, it works pretty well. I I haven't had any issues with with that. This was something we just started using straight away. and like slack for communication outside of that, um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I, and I'm quite careful as well about filtering things. So, I if, if I get anything through, um, it's, it's very rare that I do. I, I always keep the mirror, the, the GitHub mirror, you know, a spot on with the uh, um, SVN version. In fact, the GitHub version goes up a couple of seconds before cor- uh, cornerstone commits up to SVN usually, yeah. um, but. I am very careful. If I get any any requests through any other means that aren't the free sport forum or via my website, I just I'll point them to the right place um, and get them to you know put their support requests there instead. And if they don't want to do that, then that's that's tough. Really, I I I have to keep. I, I've got a priority sport forum. I've got a contact form on my website, and I've got a free support forum. We've got after sales, which is priority sport. We've got contact form, which is um, Pre-sales questions, and then we've got the free support forum, which is anything to do with the free core plugin. And those those take up all of the the, those those catch all of the requests. And if someone can't be bothered to put it through one of those means, and they want to do a pull request or use a tool that they they want to use because they want to use it, Mm. I'm not interested in helping them because they're not interested in helping me. So I'm quite keen to kind of get it that way, and that again keeps all the support coming through me and. You know get again kind of keeping everything neat and tidy so i'd have to deal with things like pull requests from a public repo and you know um all that sort of stuff as well so yeah Inter- and well, from github to bitbucket and so on here you because know, that starts to get, like, have a bit of pain
1: yeah i mean we just end up if we ever have a pull request on our um on our public mirror effectively um and it's if it's something we want, then we'll just close it and say, thanks. We'll, we'll actually implement that in our private repo and you'll see it soon. Like we, mm. because otherwise you can't really, you know, transfer that pull request across to your private bit, but okay. um, yeah. 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 I think plug in support and development is, is a good topic for, for later, I guess. And, uh, mm. yeah. But, yeah, but I guess your original question is yes, I get everything. And, I think uh, I personally believe that's a good way of, of, of approaching things. Um, I certainly would like even your child sites, w- would you g- put a Git repository up just, or a bit bucket one to your private one just
0: for that extra backup? Yeah, something- I do. Yeah. So all my parent and child things, they're all set up on Git. I get a Git lab for, for that yeah. and they all get committed. And I, and I am pretty uh, careful about how much I commit and what I commit and when, you know, as well. Yeah. On those, and, and that's just for myself. But uh, the client wants those as well, and, yeah. Uh, and I'm quite happy, quite happy doing it. It's just, yeah, it's just if I'm working on my own thing or a smaller company, I probably won't bother. But yeah, on the um, on the larger ones, I definitely do. And it's usually the larger companies that care more about that. I find, but um, mm. yeah, no, I, t- I take your point. I think it I think ultimately, I I, I would I, I would argue it's probably not as important as you say you would find it but I think it's an extremely important skill to have under your belt.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Regardless. Indeed. Right. Well um, it was good chatting Jack and I think we've covered quite a lot we've obviously gone perhaps a bit over our normal time frame, but I hope uh, people have found it useful. And once again, if you've got anything you want to hear us talk about or any questions, actually that you, we can help and answer, then please let us know in the comments or on Twitter and uh, yeah. Uh, we'll catch up in a couple of weeks, Jack. Yeah, sounds good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Goodbye. Bye.